This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? Those chilling words were from activist Greta Thunberg, and they reverberated around the world in the days after she spoke at the UN Climate Action Summit in late 2019. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? And voices like Greta's, as well as some important people in the business community, have woken up business to the daunting reality of climate change and the role they have to play in it. My message is that we'll be watching you. I'm Alan Murray. This is Leadership Next, the podcast that examines the evolving role of today's CEO and what that means for the future of business. Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. In recent months, we've seen Microsoft, Delta, Amazon, others announce major plans to shrink their carbon footprint and offset their emissions. These kinds of commitments were almost unheard of a decade ago. Uh, there's certainly no government regulation pushing them to do it. But if the rise of voices like Greta Thunberg's demonstrates anything, it's that there's growing pressure on CEOs from their employees, from their customers, and now even from their investors to take action. And that's prompted a distinct change in how CEOs are leading their companies on environmental policy, not to mention a larger set of social issues. The question I have, of course, is, is this real? Are they doing enough? And can companies really take on a problem that, until recently at least, was seen as primarily a governmental challenge? Today, my guest to talk about that is the CEO of Starbucks, Kevin Johnson. He's one of that growing group of CEOs who is really grappling with these questions. Kevin, thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here, Alan. I, I know next year is Starbucks' 50th anniversary, big event uh, for you and for the company. It's actually kind of hard to believe Starbucks has been around for 50 years, but uh, there you have it. Uh, I know you're using that milestone to make a major new commitment to the environment. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, we wanted to step back and, and think about the next 50 years of Starbucks. What will define the company? And so the work uh, that, that came together that we announced uh, in the last month or so on environmental sustainability was part of uh, redefining the future. And it's something that uh, as we set up for the 50th anniversary in this next 50 years of Starbucks, we think it's something that will significantly redefine the company. Yeah, and I want to go into that in some detail. But let me, let me ask you first, I mean, when I walk into Starbucks, I'm there for a good cup of coffee, maybe a place to sit down and check my messages on my phone. I don't really think I'm changing the world. Well, you know, first of all, we get feedback from our Starbucks partners all the time. Employees, uh, that is. Uh, that's right. We call we call every everyone who works at Starbucks a partner, and that's because uh, you know they participate in Beanstalk. They get equity in the company. Kevin, I get the sense that this is not just an important issue for your employees, 
but that it's a very personal issue for you. You know, it is, Alan. In fact, uh, there were two events over the last 18 months that really inspired me on this. And, you know, recognize Starbucks has been focused on environmental sustainability, certainly over the last decade, you know, many things that we have done. But it was about 18 months ago when we announced that we were eliminating green uh, straws or the plastic straws in our stores. And on the day that we issued that press release, uh, the team called me out uh, into the bullpen where we monitor social media activity. And they said, Kevin, look what's happening. And you could see this huge spike in social media, country by country. You know, when the sun would rise in a certain continent, you saw this huge spike in social media. It was people sharing, uh, posting, liking. uh, And really, at the end of the day, it was billions and billions of people cheering us on. Uh, The second event was a little over a year ago uh, when uh, my grandson, who was four at the time, he came running up to me at at our home carrying a book, and he said, Pop, please read me this book. And I sat down on the couch with him, and the book he had in his hand was Dr. Seuss, The Lorax. And as I read The Lorax, it it sort of dawned on me, this is the story of (laughs) environmental sustainability today. And so when I finished the book, I got up and I said, what year was that book originally published. I found the book was published in 1971, the same year that Starbucks was founded. The very following week, we kicked off a project, internal project within Starbucks codenamed the Lorax Project. I know uh, environmental sustainability has been part of Starbucks values from the very beginning, but I do think there's something different that's been going on in the last few years, uh, and it does have to do with the desires of millennial employees. It has to do with the rapid pace of change in society. It probably has a little bit to do with the breakdown of our political system, but for a bunch of reasons. Uh, these sorts of efforts seem to be taking a higher profile. Absolutely. You know, as we, as we study this, one of the things we figured out, you know, roughly 30% of the world's population are millennials, Gen Z. And, uh, you know, and they look at the world, you know, in a different way. They, they would look at the world with, you know, an attitude of optimism and wanting to, to act and do, do the right thing. And in a lot of ways, you know, our political infrastructure is, is not, uh, not serving society as well as it needs to. And uh, that creates an opportunity, I think, for for private sector to step up. And I think actually businesses going forward are going to have to have a mission that goes far beyond the pursuit of profit, a a mission that somehow contributes back to society in a way that creates uh, creates a positive dynamic. And you'll hear that more from this younger generation. Now, let's talk a little bit about the specifics, because I have to say, and I think you would agree with me on this, at the end of the day, Eliminating plastic straws is not going to make a big difference to the environment. That's right. It's a step, but it's not the only step. And, uh, you know, what, what we wanted to do here was really step back and, 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 and put a stake in the ground for what I call, it's a bold, it's a bold multi-decade aspiration. And the aspiration we framed was to be a resource-positive company, basically a planet-positive company, where, where we're climate-positive, where we have uh, zero waste and we're water positive. Now to get there, yeah. we don't we don't know everything we have to do to get there, but we did we did do all of the audits to know where we are on carbon, waste and water, and we've defined a 10-year objective, but we know that this is going to require innovation, new ideas and decades of work. So I wanted to dig into that acknowledgement from Kevin when he said we don't know everything we have to do to get there. 
So we called Andrew Wanless Orlebar. He's a lead strategist at Futera, a company based in the UK dedicated to helping companies shape their sustainability policies. Andrew, thank you for spending some time. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Uh, So, Andrew, one of the things that Kevin said was they're setting an objective, but they're acknowledging that we don't have the technology and the knowledge yet to hit it. Is that a pretty common challenge here? I think it's a new challenge today. I think we've been looking for the last few years at an era where some corporate commitments were a little bit ahead of the reality of of their businesses. And that that was essentially bad because you could see that the PR exercise was ahead of the operational uh, focus. I think today it's actually just telling you that companies are, I think we'll see how it proves out for different players, really looking ahead and saying, we need to get there. And by putting that flag in the ground way ahead, it's going to accelerate solutions. And we'll see it immediately with the offsetting world. All of these commitments are going to lead to a giant explosion in the offset market and start telling us what new solutions we'll need to look at. So I think that gap is for the first time a beneficial one where it shows that performance needs to catch up with statements and that gap will be closed by investments and new technology. Everybody's putting out their sustainability plans. It is the thing of the moment. And what we need you to help us with is, are these any good? I mean, are they real or are they just greenwashing? Uh, so, so let's talk about Starbucks in particular. I know you've had a chance to look at their plan. What do you think of it? I think what's very interesting about them is that they are really, it's not just a carbon commitment. They are looking at carbon and water and waste. And while those may initially seem to be quite separate, I think only when you start looking at those together can you start getting to strategies that go beyond offsetting, which is part of the Starbucks strategy. So if we look at something like food waste, Food waste globally is one of the biggest contributors to climate change. It, for a company like Starbucks, it may not be one of the biggest impacts, but it's, it's certainly there. If you look at their food waste, milk, let's say, is worth one third of all their food waste. So that's a cost to them. It's, it's waste that you don't want to see. But the production of that milk in, uh, in, from a carbon perspective has a huge impact on the planet. So if you could reduce your purchasing of milk, you would actually be reducing your waste on the one hand, but also helping to contribute to reducing your emissions in a way that is actually core to your business rather than just purchasing offsets, which it must be said, remain a financial instrument, not a way of really rethinking your business. We have 200 years of industrial revolution to compensate for and avoided emissions, which is the core of offsets, are not going to get us there. Kevin, the 10-year objective is to cut your carbon footprint, your waste, uh, and your water usage by 50%. That's correct. We said by 2030, uh, we have a preliminary target for 2030 to reduce our carbon, uh, you know, absolute uh, amount of carbon emissions by 50%, reduce waste by 50%, and uh, reduce the amount of water in our operations by 50%. Yeah, so let's start with carbon. I assume that has to do with transporting coffee. It has to do with the footprint of your stores. There are a lot of things that go into that. How do you think you're going to get that 50% reduction? The two biggest factors in, in our carbon footprint, number one is, can coffee farmers continue to grow and produce enough coffee to serve the world without additional deforestation? So that's number one. And number two, it has to do with dairy. 
and the methane emissions from all the dairy cattle that it takes for dairy. So you think about those two are agriculturally related. So how do you grow more coffee without cutting down trees? Well, if you look at what what we introduced uh, almost two decades ago, uh, was a program that we call CAFE Practices. It stands for Coffee and Farmer Equity. And CAFE Practices was our realization that we would invest in agronomy research that would help them improve the yield of their crop and the quality of their coffee. So even over that two-decade period, the volume of coffee has roughly quadrupled in the world, but we've been able to do that at, at a, and, and reduce the, the carbon uh, footprint by 50%. We've been able to do that without deforestation. Wow. So just last yeah. week, I spent uh, five days on the one coffee farm that Starbucks owns. It, it is in Costa Rica. It's called Hacienda Alsacia. And the reason we own that coffee farm is because that's where the world-leading agronomists that work for Starbucks are based, and they do the agronomy research on our farm, and then the open source share that information with all coffee farmers around the world. Very impressive. And now let's talk about the dairy piece of this. Are you going to make me uh, uh, stop drinking lattes with cow milk? Well, you know, these transitions happen over time. And, you know, <laughs> at, at Starbucks, we're going to handcraft that beverage to your personal preferences. And here's what we're seeing customers' personal preferences are. We introduced alternative plant-based milks uh, several years ago at Starbucks. Today in the U.S., uh, customers, about 15% of, of the beverages are with these alternative plant-based milks. We had just introduced oat milk, uh, you know, in addition to our almond milk, soy milk, coconut milk. Now, if you want people to, uh, to use plant-based alternatives, why do you charge them extra to use the uh, plant-based milk? Yeah, it's a good question. We, we do charge extra in the United States. In other markets, we don't. But it all has to do with the maturity of the supply chain for that alternative milk. And so part of that extra charge is because the costs are higher, but it's also uh, recognizing the investment that's building out supply chain to have, uh, you know, have these alternative milks at scale. Over time, that will change. No question. Okay, good. Let's talk about the waste piece. Are you going to make me drink my coffee in a reusable mug? We're not going to make you, but we're going to try and set reusable, uh, you know, reusable cups. Uh, but we're also, we kicked off two years ago what we call the Next Gen Cup Challenge. The cups we have today are hmm. recyclable, but they require special equipment to strip the plastic lining off the paper. So this Next Gen Cup Challenge is taking us down a path that for, uh, for a cup that's not a reusable, that it should be recyclable and there should be the waste management system from our stores directly into uh, that recycling facilities. And talk about the water challenge. What are you doing there? At our coffee farm in Hacienda Alsacia, we have reduced the amount of water it takes to process coffee by 75%. And so through simple innovation in wet wow. mills, you can figure out how to use water that helps you know move the coffee cherries through the manufacturing process and that water gets reused multiple times in the processing of that coffee to where you're not, we're, we're dramatically reducing the waste on the processing side. And then in our stores, uh, two years ago, we created a program called the Greener Apron. And this was a program that Starbucks partners who work in our stores could take uh, self-serve education and get certified as a Greener Apron. And what it taught them is how to operate our stores and uh, in a more sustainable way, including reducing the amount of water waste that occurs in our stores. 
I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is the CEO of Deloitte U.S. and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Thanks for being with us and thanks for your support. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Joe, in today's economy, it's pretty clear that talent is the most important business asset. But the talent can be pretty demanding. And if they want to, they can walk out the door. How does that change the way you lead a corporation? This is especially acute for all of us at Deloitte, where our primary asset is our people. And sitting here in an environment where our people have a choice of where they want to work, it places a premium on making certain that we're operating as a responsible enterprise, that our people can visibly see that the organization they work for aligns with their values, and that our organization is leading by example as a responsible enterprise. Our employees certainly feel highly empowered to share their views, and that's a good thing. We want to give them an outlet to be heard in a productive fashion, and we believe we owe it to them to be transparent around the decisions that we're making and to explain the rationale so that they can see how thoughtfully we've considered these very complex issues. That's perfect. Thank you, Joe. Alan, it's a real pleasure. Welcome back to Leadership Next. I'm talking to Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Starbucks. I meant to ask you earlier, by the way, what's your favorite Starbucks drink? You know, Alan, I start the day off uh, early in the morning with a triple espresso with just a splash of hot water. <laughs> and, uh, and that's my start. And I usually go to my home Starbucks to get that beverage. Then I drive into work. And when I get to work, I make a French press. And uh, if and my huh. favorite coffee in the French press is an aged Sumatra. And so I enjoy that. And then I must say that the beginning of every meeting at Starbucks, the ritual is we begin the meeting with a coffee tasting. So I might have little six or seven coffee tastings throughout the day. So that's that's my coffee ritual. Do you stop at some point in the afternoon for the sake of sleep? Yeah, I, I, you know, I slow down. I slow down <laughs> a little bit, but I admit I am well caffeinated. <laughs> well, you should be given your job. Look, if if I'm a Starbucks shareholder and I put my money in Starbucks because I wanted it to finance my retirement, why the hell do I care about any of this? Well, you, you would care about it because the, the, if you think about the pillars that we're driving, being a company that is profit positive, a company that is people positive, and a company that is planet positive. In our view, th that is the alchemy of an enduring company. It's the alchemy of a company that partners want to be a part of. It's an alchemy of a company that customers want to do business with. It's the kind of company that is an enduring company. Don't you sometimes have to make decisions between those three, profits, people, planet? Every day. And how do you, how do, Every you do day. that? Well, first is we're very intentional about the outcomes we're trying to drive in all three. What are we trying to do on the people positive side? How do we make sure we're taking care of Starbucks partners? Are we putting enough in, whether it's wage or benefits, or just recently we introduced uh, mental health and well-being uh, services as part of the benefits for Starbucks partners? We have to think about that. And are we doing the right things to attract the great partners that serve customers and, and help create this brand? Second, then, is we say, okay, what investments do we make in, in, in being a resource-positive, planet-positive company? Many of those investments uh, provide returns. There's things you can do to become more efficient. You might have to invest a little bit up front, but by making those investments, we're bringing customers along with us and, uh, and our partners along with us. You add those things up, 
uh, and being a, a, a profit-positive company, says, yeah, we're, we're committed to a double-digit earnings per share growth model, long-term growth model. So all those things are in harmony, and they do require trade-offs every single day. And that's what, uh, that's what the executive leadership team and I do every day, is be thoughtful about those trade-offs. I talk to a few too many people who tell me that there are no trade-offs. So we can do it all. You know, we'll put, we'll put it all together, and it will somehow work. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate your perspective. Let me ask you, I mean, Starbucks is a big company, as you pointed out. You've got 32,000 stores. That's really impressive. But in the environmental scheme of things, you're tiny. That this isn't something that one company or one, one organization is going to solve. That's not going to happen. It can only be solved if many people and many organizations get involved. You have to create a movement. And so my thought was, well, look, let's put, let's, as Starbucks, let's put a stake in the ground and say, this is what we are willing to do, a multi-decade aspiration that is bold, that is hard, that will not be linear, that will require innovation. And, that's, and then let's use one of Starbucks' superpowers, the superpower of convening others. Let's bring others into the table. Let's get partnerships. Let's get ideas. Let's, let's, let's learn from others. Let's contribute to others. That's how we will make a difference together. This isn't a competition. It's not a competition to see which company is better at uh, coming up with ideas for sustainability. It's a collaboration. That's the only way this problem can get solved. Kevin, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me today, and I also appreciate what you're doing. I, I want to end the podcast by reading something that you'll recognize uh, from, from the Lorax. It says, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot Nothing is going to get better. It's not. Thank you for being part of that. Thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure. There's something very big going on here. Leaders like Kevin Johnson are at the forefront of a movement. They're examining the social effects of their corporate strategy and policies. They're not just focused on the financial bottom line. They're looking to address some larger problems like climate change. This isn't charity. If you listen to my first episode of Leadership Next, where I interviewed Satya Nadella, he openly admitted that this is a product of enlightened self-interest. Capitalism needs this to survive. In the long run, companies can only grow if they're operating on a healthy planet in healthy societies with a robust and thriving consumer base. CEOs who recognize that fact are redefining their responsibilities to society as well as stewards of major corporations and their employees, their customers, and their investors are demanding that they step up to this challenge. That's what Leadership Next is all about. These companies are setting the bar for other business leaders going forward. If you've enjoyed the show, drop us a comment or review us on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed, please do it right now. New episodes of Leadership Next are going to appear every Tuesday in your feed, featuring interviews with CEOs who are defining the future of business and leadership. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is produced and edited by the amazing Dan Sacker. It's engineered and mixed by the Wizards, Wayne Schulmeister and Debbie Daughtry. And it's written by me, Alan Murray, and by Dan Sacker. Our music is by Jason Snell. Executive producers, Mason Cohen and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is recorded at Fortune Media Headquarters in downtown Manhattan.
Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 